You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, episode number 50, Introduction to Cluster Analysis. I can't believe we have reached number 50 with this podcast and we have already a number of other episodes recorded for you. So today we talk about a very, very technical topic as lots of you have um, asked me to dive into a couple of more technical talks. So stay tuned for this one. Welcome to The Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, a weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. If you are not yet following me on LinkedIn, just please connect there. It's a great network and I'm providing regular new content there. I'm sharing ideas, I'm sharing additional content, I'm resharing things that I see there. So lots of lots of great things that you'll get pretty much on a daily basis. In this episode, we talk all about cluster analysis. We go through the different um, questions that you can answer with cluster analysis. We go into the different ways you can do cluster analysis, especially the metrics that are relevant there. And we also give you a little bit of a heads up in terms of how you can implement that, both the SARS and the SARS. This episode is actually based on a webinar that happened in uh, late 2018. And if you are a PSI member, you can go to the Video On Demand content library and search for the webinar there and um, see also two other courses about machine learning there. So, very, very interesting uh, topic. This podcast is created created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video on demand content libraries that I just mentioned, free registration to all PSI webinars, like the one where I talk about, and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. Uh, today I'm talking, or we are talking, and we, I mean, Alexander. Hello, Alexander. Uh, hi, Benjamin. <laughs> and myself, we're talking about cluster analysis. And actually, we're referring a little bit back to um, to November last year when Alexander held a PSI webinar about cluster analysis with the topic of not all patients are created equal, but are there are subgroups that are more homogeneous. And um, so we will put these slides or the uh, as a reference on our webpage as well. So it's probably a bit easier for you to follow our conversation today uh, when you have a look at them in parallel or afterwards. Um, but the the question today, as I said, is about cluster analysis. And maybe what is, um, Alexander, what is the question behind cluster analysis? So what is driving the analysis itself and the, um, the you know, the people like overall just um, working with cluster analysis. So in terms of cluster analysis, we have chosen this topic um, to have really a technical topic because lots of listeners were asking for more uh, content on technical topics. And um, 
Cluster analysis is a technique that uh, very often people don't usually learn at university or in their career, and it's something that is um, not very often used, let's say, in the standard setting of clinical trials, because it's not about comparing uh, treatment groups or comparing known groups. It's more about finding patterns, uh, unknown patterns in data. So it's um, helpful for answers questions such as, um, do you have different uh, segments of patients in your baseline characteristics? Yeah, or do you have uh, certain patterns of time uh, over time in terms of evolution of how the patients uh, uh, go over time and develop over time in terms of the symptoms and things like this? Um, you can also look into things like um, what are the usual concurrences of adverse events, for example, uh, or, or a couple, of, lots of other things. So, so it's very often about are there uh, for example, patients that are very similar to each other and that form yeah, clusters within the overall uh, patient population. Okay, so the question is not very, as you said, not very often or frequently asked in, in usual phase two, three trials, let's say. So is this then more about... Um, Let's say the use is more about like what we call maybe data surveillance or any data um, checking during the during the uh, conduction of the trial or where where do you use this then actually or is it rather for late phase studies where you dig into the data more and work in um, you know to find uh, grouping for patients in um, NIS trials for example. I think it's um, it's a set uh, it's analysis that is also very often used in these big data. Uh, areas. Mm -hmm. So if you have lots of data and you won't like to um, find patterns in there, uh, find segments in there that are uh, more similar to each other, um, then this is a nice way of exploring data. Um, I think there's lots of different applications. Uh, it can be in preclinical, it can be in, uh, uh, in early phase areas that can be in late phase areas and um, for example if you want to understand kind of um, how the different treatments uh, how the different patients develop over time in terms of their symptoms are there certain patterns in there so are there you know certain patients that are the very fast responders are there the patients Uh, that are kind of, you know, late responders, other patients that have, you know, respond initially, but then um, uh, lose the efficacy again. Um, and you can use cluster analysis to identify these different patterns in your data. And then once you have these patterns, you can then uh, try to understand what drives these patterns. What are the kind of um, known disease characteristics that are associated with that? So it's it's so to say um, a learn statistical learning technique that helps you to identify unknown uh, groups within your um, uh, in, in your data. And I think there's you know if you think about um, Other areas, you could look into um, are there patients where, you know, the drug doesn't hit the target 
or where the pharmacokinetics are kind of off or, you know, other things. Um, so you could look into lots of different data uh, to explore that. But of course, in, in you know, in a real world evidence setting or in uh, big observational studies, in registries, you could look into very, very large data sets and see are there kind of distinct clusters within these settings that, you know, um, tell you something about certain patient types, so to say. That are uh, that are very different. Or w one example that I will come to later is actually we looked into patient preferences, and we wanted to understand what are the different types of patients that have distinct types of preferences in terms of um, different features of uh, um, medication. So in terms of safety, in terms of uh, tolerability, in terms of efficacy, in terms of convenience, these type of things. So it's it's really, the, the question is then really a multidimensional question in terms of... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you always start with, let's say, a vector of lots of data. Mm. And um, let's say it's easiest if it's, this data is um, all comes from a similar dimension, yeah. So, so if you have kind of, let's say, um, a couple of visits and the um, each symptom measurement at these different visits is one variable, that could be the case. Or if it's, you know, uh, a series of binary questions, for example, mm. could also be, you know, a very, very easy case. But it also works if you have, you know, Uh, a combination of all kind of different data. Yeah, so if you have um, the usual suspects in terms of base, uh, baseline characteristics, age, weight, um, gender, race, um, disease severity at baseline, certain lab characteristics, whatsoever. So you could, you know, lump these all together in a large factor for each uh, patient and then uh, put them through cluster analysis to see whether there are certain um, patient characteristics that basically lump together. Hmm. So you already mentioned some of the, let's say, leading questions for um, for the cluster analysis. Is there anything else where you can think of where what you could, um, you know, where, what is the driver for using cluster analysis? No, I think that uh, describes probably very good kind of the setting. I think one thing maybe to, as a complement to that, yeah, as a kind of different approach is, um, is these approaches where you already know some outcome. So, and then you want to understand what are, what is associated with that. So let's say logistic regression analysis, where you want to understand what is your, let's say your response is your endpoint and it's binary and you want to understand what drives response. Yeah, And then you have lots of covariates that uh, you put into the logistic uh, regression model to understand what has an impact uh, on, the, on the response. Or you have uh, yeah, simple regression analysis uh, or other kind of um, classification analysis yeah, where, where you basically look for what are the um, variables that drive this endpoint, uh, 
And mm -hmm. that is sometimes called supervised learning. So statistical supervised learning, where you look into which variables have an impact on this endpoint that you know. And, that's be, and this endpoint, so to say, supervises the, the learning uh, algorithm. And cluster analysis in, is in that regard an unsupervised learning algorithm because you don't know what kind of patterns you will find. You don't know whether you find three groups, four groups, five groups. Yeah, so that is one way. Um, and, and cluster analysis looks is is one way in terms of uh, unsupervised learning. Another um, uh, completely different uh, technique is uh, associated with dimensional reduction. So uh, things in the direction of principal component analysis, these kind of things, where you try to, you know, reduce dimensionality in, in that regard. Um, that's another kind of uh, uh, example. Okay, so I mean, talking about, like, if you have a specific question, it's probably easy to um, to understand how you cluster, um, you know, how you would cluster as a... As a an investigator, let's say, to cluster patients, you know, following a logic, but how do you do this technically? So what is the technique of clustering um, that, that we follow and maybe different approaches? I mean, I do I do remember areas where, where what's probably coming in here at some point is, you know, when we had in, uh, still back in the university times when we talked about numerical um, you know, uh, finding finding optimum local optimum, we, meaning yeah. that we had uh, you know different measures of distances between points and kind of found uh, the position where where it was optimal with regard to one or the other dimension or um, whatever measure was um, was taken for this one. But how is it in, in statistics? So how do we use um, or technically clustering here? Yeah, so so um, as I said, um, it goes into the direction that you're uh, speaking about. You have these, um, you can think of each patient or, you know, each unit, subject, whatever, um, uh, has a vector of variables, yeah? And um, now you need to find vectors that are close to each, uh, close to each other. And... The mathematical problem now is to define what close means. What does similar mean? Um, and of course, you can come up with all kind of different metrics um, to, to group patients together. And um, that's also where a little bit the, the art comes into place here, because um, this is not kind of a black and white Uh, exercise. This is more kind of an exploratory analysis to find the right metrics that gives you interpretable results, meaningful results that you can then further work with. So that's Yeah, I imagine that it's also difficult for, especially if you have a vector of different types of um, uh, variables. So meaning that that for one would be one matrix, the ideal and interpretable, especially if we talk about interpretation, um, way of uh, of com uh, of um, defining the the distance or the close the closest uh, they are together. And for others, it just doesn't work. So do you do you have different? Matrices for different variables then within one cluster analysis, or is this uh, not the case? No, you would have defined one metric for um, 
all the different uh, variables okay. in your vector. Um, however, of course, you can um, play with that a little bit in terms of how you standardize things. Hmm. So um, you can start, for example, by standardizing all your uh, variables so that all have a standard deviation of one and uh, start with that. And then, you know, maybe using certain variables are more important than others. And you, um, you know, multiply them and then they get more weight uh, later on. So that's, of course, some, some initial steps that you could do. The other initial step, of course, is to um, maybe put in only those that are where you think are really relevant and not put into too many noise because, well, with these techniques, the more garbage you put in, <laughs> the more garbage you <laughs> get out. And, and, you know, it's uh, the more, you know, uninteresting data you have in there, of course, you know, the, the, the less easier it is to find something. Um, yeah. Okay, before we go to the um, to the ways of how to define these metrics or distances between um, patients in this case, so how is it, then done in how's the clustering actually done so just imagine you, you find two narrow patients so what do you do about these two patients and how do you go on because i suppose you would like to have a number of like a, a grouping or a bigger classes than only two patients finding a pair of patients yeah so so um today we just talk about hierarchically uh, clustering and that works very very easy think of at as a first step Each patient is one cluster. Yeah? Mm. And the next step, you find the two closest clusters and combine them. So, in, and then after this third step, you have one cluster less than before because you have combined two clusters. Then you start again. You find the next two clusters that are closest together and combine them again. So that now you have one step further and you have two clusters less. And so you repeat these steps until you only have one cluster left. And that way you, uh, you know, if you, if you view that on a, on a graphical uh, thing, you can see how these different clusters are related to each other and display that very, very nicely with a dendrogram. Yeah. So where on the left hand side, you have uh, one line um, that is, you know, goes from uh, parallel lines that start from the top to the bottom, and where each line represents one cluster, and in this case, yeah, just one patient. And then the further you go to the right hand side, yeah, the more you see how the clusters um, get together. So in the webinar, I actually present an example with a couple of cities of North America. And you combine them in terms of the smallest distance to each other. And so at the beginning, you have uh, there cities like Seattle, San Francisco, LA, Houston, Denver, and so on, Washington, New York. And then the You look into all these different cities. What is their first, you know, smallest cluster? You combine Washington and New York. Yeah. And then, you know, in a later cluster, you combine Chicago and Atlanta. And then in a later cluster, you combine the cluster that has Washington and New York in it together with a cluster of Chicago and Atlanta. 
Yeah, so that way you move on and get um, bigger and bigger clusters with each step. Uh, and now, of course, kind of the, the question is, when do you stop? Yeah, so so what is um, a good balance between you know is, is having reasonable number of clusters? Yeah, mm. because you know you can see it also from uh, this is again coming back to this classical variance bias trade-off so um if you want to be very very precise you need to have lots of clusters but then within each cluster there's only very few patients so you're um you're very unbiased but also very unprecise because you know with only a few patients in a cluster you can't measure anything very precisely mm. yep. if if you go on the other end and you have very few clusters then of course within each cluster there's lots of patients so anything that you measure within these clusters gets very very precise but of course you're yeah, you're potentially combining things together that don't belong to each other so you get more bias so um, there is this kind of, and you can look into a little bit of different ways to assess what's a good cluster, but uh, we'll go into that a little bit deep, uh, later in the, the, the um, uh, podcast today. Okay, as we talked about these quite uh, geographically on, and nicely imaginable um, <clears throat> ways of combining the cities of North America. So, but how does it then technically work? So if you have a cluster and combine Washington, D.C. and New York together, so how do you now start to measure the distance? Is this the mean between or the, the geographically mean between the two cities or how how is this then defined in a when you say combining two patients or two clusters together? And now we are getting actually to the core okay. of the problem uh, because this defining this distance is um, you need to have a distance that also takes into account that you have more than just one observation in that. So it needs yep. to be um, meaningful also for clusters that have yeah bigger number of uh, patients in it, or, or in this case, cities. And um, in this episode today, we just talk about, you know, from a notation point of view, I'll use the SAS notation. The uh, R notation um, is a little bit different, but not so far off in terms of uh, how the different uh, programs uh, use that. But... Um, we want to cover six different distances today that each has its pros and cons. Yeah. So, um, and these distances, just as an overview, are called single, complete, average, centroid, case nearest neighbor, and ward. Okay. So let's start with the single one. Okay. So the single one. Um, you can, you know, just if you want to uh, go back to the slides and you will have also all the notations there um, and also the mathematical, very exact kind of uh, notation of how this is designed. But for as a listener now, you can just imagine a single means you look into the minimum distance between an observation in one cluster and an observation in the other cluster. So let's say um, you have 
combined, don't know, maybe uh, Philadelphia and New York in one cluster. Now you want to look into the, um, uh, another cluster that contains, let's say, Boston. Yeah. And Boston and New York are the closest to each other. And, you know, the distance between uh, Boston and New York uh, is the distance you're looking into. Single distance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, what's nice about this is that it puts no constraints on the shape of the clusters. Um, and therefore, it's good in finding very elongated or irregular clusters. Um But that is also kind of the con side because it, you may get into kind of weird chains, basically, you know, where just mm. one very uh, close to each other is combined. Um, and there is the option that you could also combine that, uh, with, with trimmings that, you know, that you, uh, add some features that, uh, there's some kind of that you, you know, cuts the chains at a certain point. Yeah. So that is uh, an additional op option there. So, but that's, a, I think, a very, very intuitive way. Yeah. So, so you look into two sets of um, observations. You look into uh, all the different possible um, distances between the uh, single Uh, uh, elements in these two sets, and then you look into the minimum of that. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, nicely again going back to the um, to the cities of no Northern America. It's it could uh, easily to imagine how this would work here. Yeah. And the next one, the next distance is uh, also very easy to understand from that point of view. It's in in some sense kind of the opposite. Uh, it's called complete. And there, instead of looking into the minimum, uh, you look into the maximum. Yeah. So you have two sets of, uh, let's say, cities. And then you look into what is the biggest difference between any two pairs, any pair of uh, two elements from the two sets. Yeah. So. Um, Yeah, that obviously helps you to to get the you know the, the if if you imagine this as a cloud or as a you know as a group to really find the ones that are overall the nearest to each other. Yeah, and this is um, a technique that tends to um, produce clusters that have equal diameters. Yeah, so, so that is a property of mm -hmm. that technique, and it's also sen very sensitive to outliers. Yeah, yeah as, as, as you mm -hmm. can imagine, yeah. if you look into maximums. So, um, and the third one is that what I would think is actually the the most intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is a, a very uh, easy one. So, so instead of looking into the, the minimum of all the pairs in terms of their uh, diff, uh, distances or the maximum, you look into the average of all the uh, all the pairs of the uh, things. So, um, and. Um, That uh, tends to look into uh, it, it's it's a little bit like you know uh, minimizing squares, least square means kind of thing, mm -hmm. and so it tends to join clusters with small variances together, 
and uh, is therefore usually producing clusters with similar variants. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice approach because um, I think it's pretty easy to understand. Uh, it's not sensitive to outliers. Yeah, it doesn't have this chaining effect. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but again, I think it's, it's uh, agree. I think if you have many, many clusters to join, then um, there's, there's, I think, the, the danger or the, the, the need to, inter you know, to check with the interpretation and, and double check is the, as you said, the bias then towards the similar variances that, that they are really, you know, not. Um, but I think if it's only a few, if it's only a few clusters left, then or overall, then I think this is this is quite straightforward. Yeah, and you can imagine um, if we think about these kind of things, and you think about big data, these are very computational intensive algorithms. Yep. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, so just from thinking about okay, you need to compute all differences for all pairs for all clusters. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think the the more intense or the, uh, the more computational intense uh, ones, they're still coming, aren't they? <laughs> um, let's see. I think they are all pretty, pretty intense. Uh, I think the next one is actually uh, not that intense. It's pretty, pretty easy because that's a centroid one. And there you just need to know the... Um, the midpoint, so to say, of the uh, uh, cluster. So if you think about kind of um, North America, yeah, and the cities there, you, you take the uh, Euclidean distance um, between the uh, centers of these clusters. Yeah. So, so basically for each cluster, you just need to compute uh, what is the midpoint And um, then you look into uh, join those clusters says, that have the uh, least difference between the midpoints. So that's that's not very resource uh, yeah, intensive. And, yeah, and I think it's good as well for you know to, to imagine how how it works. So to explain um, how the technique is working. Yeah, yeah, and um, that's of course pretty robust uh, to outliers. Yeah. Um, now we get into a little bit of a more uh, interesting one. Um, that is a case nearest neighbor approach. And um, so there you um, give, let's say it's more kind of, um, how should I say it? Um, I need, uh, how can I get it? Um, this is okay. Uh, in terms of that uh, distance, it basically uh, gives you some kind of uh, density of the observations in a sphere around um, around. A certain uh, observation. So uh, you look into, um, uh, you define basically uh, what the distance is for one observation to the case nearest neighbor. 
Yeah, so to the first nearest neighbor, second nearest neighbor, third, fifth nearest neighbor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, then you look how big is the uh, density of the observation in that sphere. Yeah, and um, uh, you basically uh, define um, the distance then as the um, you take the inverse of that uh, density and you com uh, add up these inverse of the densities to come up with the distance. And so, so that basically puts, uh, you know, looks into a sphere be be on around the observations and looks how dense the observations are in that area. And um, Therefore, it produces also high density clusters. So it, it looks kind of, you know, um, in that regard. And you could also kind of think about it, you know, um, of course, you could look into all kind of other kind of uh, kernels around that. So other distributions that you've basically fit around the, um, uh, the observations to, um, you know, describes the, uh, to, to basically smooth the density. Yeah. And, and how do you then define, or like, how do you choose then the clusters or how do you define the, where, you know, where the two clusters or two, which two clusters you combine? Then well, with that kind of way, you get again, kind of a distance and you combine again, then those that are the smallest distance. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's a little bit more a complex one. <laughs> and that's the most complex yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Nice looking formula. Yeah, nice looking formula. <laughs> but but I don't want to kind of describe that now to the listeners. But um, uh, if you're interested, really go to the slides and then check these things out. And there's also a very, very nice uh, SAS documentation about that and an R documentation. And... Um, Actually, that is also referenced in the slides later on, or you just go to our homepage where we will have the links to the uh, software packages. So there's SAS Pro Cluster uh, that has that, and the R package has also the very innovative name of Cluster. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get, let's get to the. But there's, yeah, one there's one left, and that's the word method. Uh, that I actually applied also in some examples, and um, I found it very kind of intuitive as well, um, because it looks into the ANOVA sum of squares between two clusters, uh, added up over all the variables, and it basically minimizes uh, the within cluster sum of squares at each step. So, so mm -hmm. it really looks into kind of that clusters forms in that way that you um, really see the sum of squares gets increased uh, yeah minimizes the increase of in terms of the sum of squares 
And um, so that also joins uh, small clusters and usually gives uh, roughly equal sized clusters. It's sensitive to outliers, yeah. But um, yeah. in in the approaches where I work with, uh, I didn't have that problem. Yeah, oh yeah, that's quite normal for the ANOVA sum of squares. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. one of the things is really. Uh, as you've seen, you have lots of choices, and um, this is, of course, on one side good, but on the other side bad, <laughs> because <laughs> you have the curse of choice, so to say. Yeah, I think I think there's the good thing is that you can really uh, give it a try. I mean, as the the you know we said, it's it's often for for digging into the data, understanding the data, so it is really give give yourself time to find out which is the best and which you know which to apply and it may and also maybe for one set of data it may work with one for another set with data with the same variable it may not work for one because yeah. of the um, of the observations that you really have so it's not there's no rule really where, how to say you know if you have this then do this it's it's really driven by the yeah. data I think what I would usually do is I would apply various approaches. And um, I would check for robustness. Yeah, so looking into outliers, running it with and with outliers. Um, for some of the uh, algorithms, you can use trimming in addition. You also need to look into the number of clusters. And there's, of course, you can look into kind of this bias, bias variance trade-off measures. Um, but what I also really look into is the interpretability. So, does these clusters tell you a story? Can you, you know, make sense of them? And um, so, what I usually uh, do is I um, program in such a way that I have uh, all the characteristics for the clusters produced at the same time, so that I can see, okay, does these clusters tell me something? You know, is there is there some kind of good medical interpretation in these clusters? Yeah, like I earlier mentioned, is there, you know, a cluster with a rapid onset? Is there a cluster with, you know, a very strong preference for um, efficacy in, in uh, patient preference survey data? Or is there, you know, some cluster that has a meaningful interpretation? And um, then I look into kind of if I split these clusters up, do I then have, you know, two clusters that have basically the same interpretation, more or less? Yeah. Then, well, I don't need to split them anymore. Yeah. Um, usually you don't want to have unreasonably small or large clusters. Yeah. If you have one cluster that kind of contains 99% of your data, hmm. Yep. Unless you're looking maybe for fraud, <laughs> so, so that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think good help for for the um, for these choices and the interpretation of the data is really to have it uh, visualized. Yeah. I think this is a big help, really, to have it visualized. Use colors. I think there are good examples in here in the slides as well. So where you really see with different colors where these individual data points are located and then see uh, you know if it if it tells you a story if it makes sense yeah. to you. and with these uh, colors you can see also combine the colors and the um uh the patient characteristics so that you see okay 
the blue color, uh, the blue cluster has lots of um, female patients. The red uh, cluster has lots of severe patients. And so that you can very, very then easily see. And you can also see if you look back into your dendrogram with, you know, what, where did you split? Um, how that then relates back to if you split further, does it make sense or not? Um, so that is really more an art than the science. And of course, one other thing to have in mind is the more data you have, the more patients you have. So, so not the more data, but the more patients, the more units, subjects you have. Of course, you can, could allow for more clusters. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. um, then you still have possibly within the clusters still enough data. But of course, in the end, you probably don't want to come up with 50 clusters. Who wants to interpret that? Yeah, so, so. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, it's usually, it's usually less, I would say, like a handful, yeah. maybe yeah. two. Let's let's talk about a couple of very practical topics. Uh, first topic is um, missing data. So, of course, you know, especially if you have more kind of observational uh, data, lots of variables will, will be kind of missing. Um, one thing for the categorical variables is uh, what is a very, very nice approach to treat um, missing as its own category, because sometimes that's informative. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, for for the uh, continuous analysis, you you know, you could impute that somehow, yeah. So and inform kind of the correlation metrics there. Um, of course, you could even combine it with kind of multiple imputation approaches, but I think then it gets <laughs> really really fuzzy because you would have for each. Uh, uh, imputation you would have its own uh, run on um, clusters of course you know your own check and your yeah. own thoughts and your own <laughs> it gets uh, yeah. pretty pretty messy uh, yeah. pretty fast um, looking for outliers is uh, certainly something to do uh, to run the analysis and without outliers and of course it's important to look for correlated data because these could you know um have a huge impact on the cluster. So, so Im- just imagine you have, let's say, have uh, nine highly correlated variables and one that is not correlated with these, and you know the clusters would mostly be driven by these nine highly correlated ver- uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. values. And um, yeah, just need to be aware about yeah, that. I think that really goes to yeah, that really goes to the. It's one of the initial question really to what data to yeah. use. So. Okay, and with that, um, I think I would just refer you to the slides because there you can find some nice pictures in terms of two example cases where I looked into this. I already mentioned, you know, these in the beginning. One was a, a patient preference survey where we had seven binary questions and, and looked into that. We had 500 patients and came up with four different clusters. Uh, and another um, approach there was we had a couple of observations um, over three years from an observational study, and we looked into the quality of life, how that developed over time, and we found um, four 
distinct clusters that behave very, very differently. Um, three that actually were rather stable over time or just, you know, generally getting better a little bit. And uh, one cluster that has a very, very um, fast onset of action and then stayed uh, stable over, over time. And it was very, very interesting then to look into what determined, you know, this cluster. Okay, and also in the in the slides there are some more references. Yep. So for to dig into this to more detail and find some more ideas how where, where to read and what to read. And also there's some more reference what we already mentioned to the software to use, so the proc cluster and SaaS or the cluster package. So this is a little bit more where you can find some support there. Okay. Awesome. And with that Thanks, Alexander, for rerunning the, the the presentation on the on the cluster for the listeners. Actually, it's not a rerun; it's a complete new content with all the question and answers. And I had much more time to go into this content here than I had at the webinar. So, <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> all right then. Talk to you next week. See you next time. This show was created in association with PSI, and next week we chat with Kate Taylor, who is the conference chair of this year's PSI conference. So check that out, and thanks for listening. And especially for the episode today, visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. Today you'll find there also, for example, a link to the slides that I used for the webinar.